Hey, the title of the message is, Let Us Come Boldly. And here we are in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And we just read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Faith is like Wi-Fi. It's true. You can't see it, but it connects you to what you need. Now, we just read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, one of the great verses in the Bible. It identifies a throne, and we're not used to thinking of thrones in Western civilization, but it identifies a throne, right? And it tells us to let us come boldly to this throne. Now, can we see this throne? No. We can't see this throne. It's identified as a throne of grace. We can't see it, but through faith and by prayer, we connect to the realities of what this throne embodies in a powerful way. Now, this is all really akin to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, which identifies this counterculture to culture. Paul is speaking to believers in the first century. He's saying, look, um, I'm writing to you in Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of a San Francisco of the day. And you guys, in, in, in the culture there, he makes reference, it's a culture that's past feeling, has, has become desensitized. You got this full-blown virus, really, of sexual immorality, which is which is a sign of being alienated from God, okay? But he says, but that's not who you guys are. We're Christians, we're the body of Christ. And there's this renewal and shalom and well-being that has taken place. There's a regeneration that is taking place as Christians. So really he's identifying, um, you know, in the book of Ephesians and and now in application of what a Christian looks like, this counterculture, And he identifies this counterculture, one way he does, is dear children. Dear children. And this counterculture that the Lord is creating um, is identified as dear children, which speaks of this unique relationship that this counterculture has with Almighty God. And it's really a playoff, a child-parent relationship. Because a child not only imitates their parents, one of the chief ways we learn, we talked about this last week, and grow and are shaped in life is by imitation. That's just flat out fact. We talked about it. A child, you know, not only imitates mom and dad, that's one of the chief ways they learn and grow, but a, a child has access to his or her parents and, and as a result benefits from not only the relationship it, itself with mom and dad, but also the resources mom and dad have and, and the authority and the power that mom and dad represent. How many of you are tracking with me so far? You get that? Okay, now watch this. <laughs> okay, now I've, I've been mixing some metaphors, haven't I? Because we're talking about dear children, now we're talking about a throne, dear children and throne. I'm mixing metaphors. But what this is telling us is that as dear children of God, our Heavenly Father is really, really, really big and strong. And we have access to Him with guaranteed results. He says, you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. You draw near to me, you will find mercy, you will obtain mercy, and you will find grace in time of need. Man, that's a great deal right there. 
So I'm mixing metaphors, right? We're, we're, we're bringing together Ephesians 5.1, just that dear children reality, which speaks of relationship with God and access to God, okay? The most powerful being in the entire universe. And then we're like going to the throne. And what, you know, what, what does he mean by the throne? I mean, okay, well, it speaks of the incredible power, actually, of the Almighty to whom, like as dear children, we have access to. How do we wrap our minds around that? What term or concept would be adequate? Well, there is none, really. I mean, Hebrews 4.16, which is really the heart of the book of Hebrews, is helpful because it uses the term throne, and the idea is, and we have it up on the screen, throne represents certain things. It represents power and resources and relationships, and it implies a monarchy. But to what extent But to what extent is this monarchy, this sovereignty in terms of resources and power and relationship, how big are we talking about? We were mentioning earlier in prayer, you know, there are still monarchies today. Sweden is a monarchy. Thailand's a monarchy. Tonga's a monarchy. The United Kingdom, a type of monarchy, right? So if, if you think, okay, well, think of the United Kingdom and think of the Queen of England. Well, she embodies a certain power and resource and relationship, but to what extent? Well, all due respect to her, it's, it's limited. I mean, that's a regional authority. That's a regional power, right? The throne, please hear this. It's so awesome. The throne of Hebrews 4.16 represents a power and resource and relationship with the king of the universe. It's like, whoa. And every dear child of God has access to this throne that embodies certain power and resource and relationship 24-7. But please hear this. It's more than just access. Do you notice the word bold there? Look at it there in Hebrews 4.16. Notice the word bold. I mean, it's more than just being able that we can come to him in prayer and be consciously in his presence. That word bold, that we have bold access to obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Well, that boldness that's being referred to there actually speaks of just pouring out your soul and letting loose of what is burdening you. I mean, you can come before the Almighty and just like lay it all on the line. I mean, just like you're burdened, you're concerned, you're anxious, you have needs, you need a touch by God, you need a miracle from Him. It's like, just open up, just go for it, man. Just pour it all out. You can be totally bold to, to communicate what is on your heart. That is really special. And th- think about it, to have such a relationship where I, you can just open your heart and just Fill out your concerns, you know, your burdens, your fears, the needs that you have, and you're just totally bold with it, and you're totally honest and transparent with regard to it, is very, very rare. Because one of the greatest fears in life, you guys, is to be known, but not loved. But there is a throne that I can go to for which the king of the universe sits that I can be totally transparent. And he still loves me. How many of you are tracking so far on that, right? That's really wonderful and beautiful. So I'm not so sure there's any 
relationship on a human level that really captures that reality. I mean, marriage in a way is to be that, but that takes a lot of time, and I'll explain this a little bit. I mean, I mean, when you go to the doctor, you, you, I mean, the door is open to just, you know, divulge and communicate, and I got these concerns and fears and stuff, and, and there's privacy there and stuff, but, but I'll be honest with you. I've been in a doctor's office, and the doctors ask me questions, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not so sure I want to give full disclosure on that. You know, I'm just, because I'm not so sure about what I'm actually feeling or what's actually going on. And, and I'm a little concerned about, you know, them going over to their computer and typing in, I think he's crazy, you know. He's like, oh, then it gets in the computer and then it's, you know, going to be on the front cover of the Auburn Journal one day or so. I don't know. It's just, I, I'm, I'm not so confident. I mean, and yet, don't follow my example there. If you go to the doctor, you got concerns you need to like be transparent. But my point, my point is, I mean, it's so rare, isn't it, to have a relationship where it's like, I can, I'm just going to speak boldly here. I mean, really, I'm going to download here. I'm going to pour out my heart before you. I mean, that is rare. You know, one of the reasons the Lord blesses us with marriage is such a blessing um, is that it really is a covenant of love. It's really saying to the person, I'm going to take your hand, okay? All right, I'm going to take your hand, and, and, and I know you, and I, and I love you and stuff, but it's like I don't fully know you, and I don't fully know the circumstances and challenges we're going to face, but okay, here it is. I'm going to enter into this contract. And I'm going to take your hand, I'm going to walk to the sunset of life, and I'm I'm never going to let go of your hand until we see the Lord face to face. And that's a beautiful thing. You see, our son Pete just got recently engaged. Pete, you know Pete, right? The one who's led worship here over the years. And I was so blessed because he asked me to be his best man in his wedding. Not only that, but to do his wedding. Not only that, but to pay for his wedding, you know what I mean? So it's like, I was thinking, I'm getting drawn in here, you know? But I just, here's kind of what I'm thinking. I say, okay, look, I know my son loves this young woman. I know he does. And my goodness, he's been praying, you know, to marry her for, for a while. I know that. He has love for her and he has knowledge of her and, he, and stuff like that. And it's so beautiful. But it's like, I just, I just had this vision yesterday of just them standing at the altar. And it's like, hey, you know what? You're just getting your backpack on right now. I mean, I'm serious. You're standing, I'm just telling you, your backpack, you got your Bible, you got some love, you got some knowledge. I'm telling you, the journey is only beginning. It's a flat out fact. And what you're really saying is, I, as, as life unfolds, I will protect you and stand by your side in good, bad, and ugly times. I mean, marriage is a wonderful it, con- contract of love, actually. Well, we have a contract with the Father in Christ. When we receive communion, it's like we're celebrating this contract, Right? Where it's like unconditional love, access to the throne, and I can totally download. Here's what we want to do this morning, you guys. Please hear me. And it's so critical. We all need to come boldly to the Lord today. Because I know many of you have burdens, you have needs. It's been a sad and rough couple of days. We see laws coming into effect that are not only dishonoring to the Lord, and he knows what's best, Papa knows what's best, Father knows what's best, can I hear an amen to that, but are going to hurt a lot of people. 
According to scripture, any nation that reclassifies evil as good and darkness as light and bitter as sweet brings God's judgment. There are consequences to that. We all know there's consequences to to decisions we make. We step out of original design. That's not a good thing. Father knows best. And by nature, this ruling, and I'm talking about the ruling of same-sex marriage, the Supreme Court this last week, will draw out what we really believe as Christians and who we really are and where identity is in Christ. Because as wonderful as our nation is, the U.S. and the Constitution and due process under the law is not the answer for the world. I mean, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, I just totally value this, okay? I totally value this. It's so wonderful. We live in a great country, but please hear me. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness it is not the answer to the world. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. He didn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for happiness, they shall be filled. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. I think in some ways, look, not trying to be a smarty pants here, but uh, I don't really feel this way personally, but there's a subtlety that a lot of people think, hey, America, don't go in. America is the answer to the world. The world needs America. Well, you know, our country is awesome. And we've helped out so many countries and I totally respect the history and, it's, and I just think of all those who have given their lives, all the husbands and future potential husbands and fathers that never came home and women and so forth. And so I just tread respectfully here. But let me share some of you. There's only one answer and solution to our lives and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, many are wondering what's next. You know, Greg, things things seem to, to just be picking up in their deterioration. Doesn't it seem so? You know, one of the main reasons, let me tell you, we are seeing a downward spiral of breakdown in our culture, pick up speed, is because we're unable more and more to isolate self-defeating ideas like we used to. It's like, it's like an infection. It's one thing to have an isolated infection, let's say, for example, on your arm or something, but if that infection gets in your bloodstream, it's very, very dangerous. And what's happened is, is that deadly infections have got into the bloodstream of a generation with modern technology facilitating the good, bad, and ugly, which tells us, look, every parent hearing my voice, every grandparent, you better put filters on the internet. You better put filters on your TV. Because you have Sodom and Gomorrah and Babylon coming like right into the eyes of our kids and our grandkids. How many of you see that? How many of you recognize that? That's happening even before us. And now the same governing body, the Supreme Court, that legalized abortion years ago, which is one of the greatest exploitations of women in human history. It, le- it leaves a woman scarred, my God, for life. It leaves a woman scarred, it leaves a, uh, another dead. Oh man, as I get older, I feel this even greater. And now you have the same court who, who is 
who has redefined the nucleus of our society, redefining the family. You have five unelected justices of the court undermining the fundamental building block of a healthy, stable Western civilization with no idea with what is downstream in terms of its implications and ramifications. Now here's the thing, good news is no human court has the authority to redefine marriage. God defines it, he's the one that created it. And, and, and the good news is, look, God's not defeated, right? And ultimately every marriage will be judged according to biblical grounds on the last day. You see, well, gee, Greg, you know, can it get any darker? Yes, oh, absolutely. The infection is in the bloodstream. And the Bible says it's going to get worse. You say, how is it going to get worse? I mean, could it get worse? It's going to get worse. There's going to be an attempt to redefine who the Savior of the world is in the form of Antichrist, who's going to stand in Jerusalem one day and claim to be God like the emperors of old. It's going to get worse. The world is deteriorating to embrace such a lie. And that's why the Bible says, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie. John MacArthur penned, Romans 1 clearly identifies the evidence for the wrath of God on a nation. Sexual immorality followed by homosexual immorality culminating in a reprobate mind. He said the most recent step reminds us that God's wrath has actually come in full. We now see reprobate minds at every level of leadership in the Supreme Court, presidency, cabinet, legislature, press, and culture. That's what's happening today. Please hear me though. Just as in the day of Jesus though, do you know the darkness The darkness really isn't like the leadership. There's a darkness behind the darkness. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem fulfilling Zechariah 9.9, his eye was not on the emperor of Rome. I'm going to knock this guy off and Pete grab the swords and stuff. And his eye was not on the aristocracy in Jerusalem that were so materialistic, ripping off the people, making the temple a den of thieves. That's not where his eye was. His eye was on the cross. His eye was on the hill of Calvary to pay the debt of man's sin and in himself to give us power over sin. In his resurrection. Can I hear a big amen to that? Listen, let me tell you something. Seriously, he was after a different enemy. He was after sin, Satan, judgment, and hell. And he conquered those realities in what he accomplished on the cross and in his own resurrection. He understood there was a darkness behind the darkness. So really, marriage, you guys, is not the ultimate battleground. Our enemies are not the men and women who seek to destroy it. The enemy is the darkness behind the darkness. And today, the church, today the church is the counterculture to culture. And Paul is saying, in effect, to the Ephesians, look, here's what he's saying. You guys are really not Ephesians. That's not your identity. He's not saying, look, you guys, you guys are not Romans, that's your identity. If you go back to verse one, I think we have it on the screen. He says, you guys are saints. You are sanctified ones. God sets you apart 
brought healing to your life, cleansed you of your sin, and has protected you and is growing you more like Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I will build my church. So listen, and this morning, just be encouraged, and it's so, so important. The Lord is, Paul would say in effect, look, you, hey guys, at Auburn, you are not America. You are not the culture. You're the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, death, which is the ultimate form of breakdown and decay, has no power over you. I mean, what you see in culture is a breakdown. It's so sad. The answer is the Lord Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? But for you as a Christian, um, well, the gates of hell should not prevail against you. In other words, saying that death itself will not hold you down, will not conquer your life. And death is like the final form of the breakdown that sin brings to our life. Separation from God and just breakdown, disintegration. And now we can better understand perhaps even, maybe John 3.16 pops like it never has. And in a lot of ways it is in my own life. It's just like jumping off the page in beautiful ways. For, listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not, can someone tell me? perish well that's not just going at the, in the flames of hell or something and you don't see him anymore he's just saying whoever believes in me shall not disintegrate break down break down decay death alienation lostness shall not perish but have everlasting life i love that Russell Moore said the gospel doesn't need family values to flourish. In fact, the church often thrives when it is in sharp contrast to the cultures around it. And that was the case in Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth and Rome, which held to marriage views out of step with the scriptures. You know what's exciting, you guys? Please hear me. You know what's exciting? Hey, we get to be the church today. I mean, no, listen, we get to be the counterculture to the culture that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. We actually get an opportunity to be very much like the first century church. I mean, just remember, in fact, go back with me to Ephesians chapter four. I wanna show you something. Ephesians chapter four, we are in chapter five, but go back to chapter four. I mean, Paul, if, you know, if he was here, he would say, guys, l- let me tell you, I can relate to what's happening in America because let me tell you what was happening in the culture in which I was living you know look at chapter 4 verse 17 this i say therefore and testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them because of the what's the next word you guys blindness of their heart in other words they are intellectually intoxicated intellectually intoxicated that's what we see today and we see it on the supreme court i mean that's insane what the supreme court did insane and we see it in the oval office and we see people running for president i'm telling you there's a blindness of heart that's a flat out fact i mean some of these people change their positions like within four or five years why i mean there's an intellectual intoxication 
And let me tell you, you go to Revelation 17, it's a big picture. I'm just going to really abbreviate it. But you have this like last world governing empire and religion and antichrist and false prophet and stuff. And it basically says this influence, I'm going to really abbreviate, influence is getting the nations drunk. Just get, just the nations are buzzed. They're intoxicated. And that's no friend of anyone. If you lose feeling, you lose a sense of what reality is and the consequences of decision. That's no friend of anyone. Jesus came, thank God, to save sinners. For which, man, I'm the chief, man. I need his grace every day. I mean, look at verse 19, who being past feeling and given themselves over to lewdness to work all cleanliness with greediness. But you've not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in, everybody say it, Jesus. Oh, I love his name. Oh, there's power in the name of Jesus. I'm I'm actually pumped up. I'm actually excited because... We live in a generation where we can be more like the first century church. I've been waiting for it. And, and I got to tell you, this generation will draw out the counterfeit versus the genuine. It will, it will draw out the counterfeit professions of faith. And Jesus said there will be many on that day. He, you know, I did things in your name and associated with your name, but he says, I never knew you. And he talked about the, the tares and the wheat and the final day of harvest and differentiating between the genuine versus the counterfeit. Listen, you guys, not everybody that names the name of Christ is a Christian. And that's not to shame anybody. I'm just my point is simply this, is that this generation guarantee will draw out what a person believes and draw out where their identity is. And in that way, it's, it's actually a killer opportunity to be strong in Christ and the power of his might. And one of the ways... It will draw us out is to reveal the source of our strength. Who is the source of our strength? It's the Lord. It will reveal our hope is and whether we have relationship with the God as dear children. Listen, it's going to reveal, I'm telling you, it's going to reveal whether or not as we get to the throne of grace, just metaphorically speaking, you get to the throne of grace, whether or not a person even knows the person who's on the throne of grace. You know, a few years ago, I gathered 20 to 25 men in our church, gathered right over in the prayer room after second service. And I said to him, guys, look, I just, we, we, let's, let's storm the throne of God. Let's ask the Lord to rock our worlds with the truth of Jesus, that we might experience renewal and revival, and that, that God then could use us as godly men and godly leaders to encourage other men to go to the throne and have vision of the most important vision, which is like who Jesus Christ is. Man, we need godly leadership today. And I asked him, look, would you join me? Would you go in like Isaiah 6 and just for a couple months pray and read Isaiah 6 and allow the truth of what Isaiah 6 tells us about who Jesus is? Because he's the king on the throne. Just to rock your world. You guys, listen. Let's start the, let's start the year. We're standing in the gap, being men of God. We're, we're like more concerned about going to the throne than going to the breakfast buffet or something. You know? I mean, really, we need godly leadership there. Hey, can I hear an amen to that? That's good stuff, right? Okay, out of 20, 25 guys, three responded to it. 
And I really think it was a, it was a, it was a season of opportunity for those guys. Life. And the good news is we have opportunity before us today. The church as a whole is at a turning point. I can feel it on a personal level. And the, and the beautiful thing is, man, we, we, we get to storm, if you will, with, uh, with, with beautiful boldness, the throne of grace, and be enraptured with the Lord and be comforted by him and obtain mercy and grace in time of need. So I want to say five things, because listen, you guys, today, let's make sure, seriously, Let's, let, let's, let's make sure we all go to the throne. This is a meeting place of, of the Lord we've gathered in his name. Isn't that wonderful? Can I hear an amen to that? Isn't that awesome? The Christianity is not just something psychological or inspirational, but it's like God comes into your life. And we need his throne, don't we? Don't we? Can I hear an amen to that? Don't we all need mercy? Oh my goodness. I need mercy. I sinned the other day. I need mercy. I probably just sinned saying that because I sinned probably today. I need mercy. Okay? I need grace. I need to find grace. What does it all look like? I want to say five things. Okay, number one, the place you come. What, you know, what, what is the throne of grace? You know, what are realities about the throne of grace? Five things. It's the place you come when you are in need. Listen, Stephanie and I were praying before service. I know there are needs here, and I, am, I, 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 I want you to come to the Lord. I want you to bring your need. There's nothing too great for him. So we're going to have a time for that. But this, what is the throne of grace? Well, it's, it's a place you come when, when you're in need, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that is. What, because there can be all kinds of needs that exist. Physical, spiritual, emotional, or financial. Number two, it's the place you come boldly, which means you pour out your soul. And it's so married to the hip to the fact that Jesus has been there and done that. We don't even have time to study Hebrews, but I mean, you have God stepped down. He is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He, he is the high priest. It's such big ideas. But, but he can totally relate to us because in every way he was tempted and he was tried. Hey, listen, Jesus knows what it's like to be homeless. Jesus knows what it's like to feel pain. Jesus knows what it's like for, for, for someone to, you know, for there to be confusion, for someone to walk away from him. Jesus knows what it's like there to be enticement, to power. He, 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 he's just been tempted in all ways and yet without sin. But he can, t- he can totally relate to what's going on in your life. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to hunger and thirst and to have pain. Hebrews 2, 17 says, In all things, he made him to be like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. So you can just totally download. Isn't he wonderful? Hey, and number three, you're coming. We're coming and we're going to do it to the throne. And, that, and it's like that, that speaks of power and speaks of incredible resources and relation. We are coming to the King. The Almighty is our Heavenly Father in Christ. And number four, it's a place to obtain mercy. 
Listen, the Bible says if we don't confess our sins and kind of allow for a renewed mind, it's not a good place. It, 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 I'm going to paraphrase it. it. It leads to a downward spiral. It morphs into other realities. The good news, I can come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and please forgive me. And he just wraps his arms around me and brings renewal to my life. Write this down if you're taking notes. Mercy is not being given what you deserve. Right? And we all need mercy every day. So it'd be like this, like a police officer pulls you over and you were speeding, I don't know, 85 miles per hour or something. Of course, I know you would never do that. But anyways, right, you get pulled over and he gives you mercy or she gives you mercy, doesn't give you a ticket. Grace is something entirely different. Grace is being given what you don't deserve. So that would be like the police officer pulls you over. Not only doesn't give you a ticket, he goes, hey, look, you've been going 85 miles per hour. I just want you to know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write you a check for $500. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. That's grace. That's incredible, isn't it? I wonder what the Lord wants to do in your life this morning, how he wants to bless you. I wonder, I wonder what grace you will find as you come to him in faith and prayer. Because if we said, well, like, if you look back in history and how the Lord blessed people who approached him, what does it look like? I mean, I think John 3, the great rabbi Nicodemus, member of the Sanhedrin, came to Jesus. How did Jesus bless Nicodemus? He blessed him with the answer for life. He said, you must be born again. Don't marvel. The Holy Spirit wants to indwell you. That's the plan of God. You can become the temple of God. I mean, it's like most incredible intimacy and relationship with God. In Mark 2, tells us the paralyzed man's lowered down from the roof for Jesus was teaching in a home. How did Jesus bless that paralyzed man? For one, by wiping the slate of his sin clean. And then demonstrating that he had forgiven him by bringing wholeness and healing to that paralyzed man. I mean, that's grace. I'm going to give you a whole lot more. I I think of Luke chapter 22. You know, when Jesus was arrested by the 600 soldiers, you guys know the story. It tells us Peter drew a sword and, you know, he was going to fight. And he ended up knocking off a guy's ear. And he probably was aiming for the guy's, I mean, like downward on the guy's head, hits the helmet and slides off and knocks the guy's ear off. I mean, that soldier was coming to arrest Jesus, but Jesus was so gracious to him that day, wasn't he? I mean, that's an incredible picture of grace. Gives him what he doesn't deserve. He just picks up his ear and puts it back on the guy's head, even though that guy had come to arrest him. You guys track with me on that? I mean, that's just grace, grace, grace. Nothing is too great for God. I think of John 6, 1 through 14, tells the story of thousands who had pursued Jesus on foot and they were hungry. How did Jesus bless them? He took a few loaves of bread and fish and he multiplied them, feeding, it says, 5,000 men. That doesn't even include the women and the children, maybe up to 12, 15,000 people. Listen, what is your need? What is your need? You say, Greg, the throne. I mean, the throne is a place of resource. Yes, it's a place of power. Yes, it's it's a place, it speaks of where the, you know, relationship with the Lord. Okay, I kind of got it, but it's like, can we wrap our minds around it even more than that? I mean, we probably could spend some more time in it, but you just got to make sure you get there. This morning, just get there. Get there by prayer and get there by faith. Can I hear an amen to that? Seriously, now, 
What is your need? Maybe it's forgiveness. Oh, there's great mercy. Maybe it's renewal. Maybe it's revival. Maybe it's something financial. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's physical. He said, Greg, you know, my need, my need, I'll be frank with you, it's just the Lord. That's great. (laughs) That's awesome. A.B. Simpson once said, once it was blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Church family, prayer, prayer, coming to the Lord in prayer, is not so much like, Lord, would you bless us? Would you bless the work? Would you bless us at this time? Prayer is actually the work. In, in other words, it's just, it's just calling on him, opening our hearts to the work of his spirit, time exposure in his presence. I mean, that is the work. He wants to meet us right there. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, pray with me at this time. And let's, let's let me share, I'll share a few things that's on my heart. And, you know, the Bible says that when we have meetings as church family, that things need to be done in an orderly way so that there's edifications. I want to be really clear as we're in attitude of prayer. But I want to encourage you. We're going to sing a few songs. And during the first song, in particular, I I want to encourage you to bring your need and your burden to the Lord. Let me tell you something. We worship the Lord because he is worthy, not because we're worthy. Some of you may have been going to a different throne. You know, when we're in need, it's not uncommon to kind of go to the throne, I'm using this loosely, of of worry and fear, of the past, of failure, to look even within. Listen, to look within, I can speak for myself, is incredibly depressing. The Lord doesn't want you to look within, He wants you to look up. He doesn't want you listening to that you're an idiot or you're a failure, there's a hope for you, whatever, look what you've done. No, he wants you to look up and, and know and experience that your identity in life is in the heavenly Father's eyes in Christ. You are loved, you are forgiven, you are grace, you are empowered. You are a member of the counterculture, the hands and feet of Jesus in this generation. Praise the Lord for that. He wants you to look up and he wants to remind you, look, you were never meant to run on your own strength. You were never meant to self-manage your marriage, your relationship with your children or grandchildren or your relationships with your neighbor. Never meant to self-manage, but, but to be under the management, the lordship of, of the Lord himself. That's where the strength and the grace and the help is. And, and we all need him don't we? Can I hear an amen to that? We all need a fresh work of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis in our life. 
And listen, the Lord is a Lord of miracles. My goodness, He is the Almighty. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. They that come to Him must believe that He is. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So we're not coming to the throne of the United Kingdom. We're not coming to the throne of Sweden. We're, we're coming to, our, to the Almighty, to, to the Lord's throne. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do, church family. We're going to sing this song, Hungry. And we are, and we are hungry for the Lord. We need Him, don't we? And we need that hunger to intensify in our lives because, because He is life. And maybe even that would be the prayer, Lord, I pray you would intensify my hunger for you. I've been just filling my life with pods that the swine eat with what is wasteful and just illegitimate. Lord, forgive me. I I want an appetite for holiness and purity and love and forgiveness. That's going to be part of my prayer. I need that. But during this time, my friends, and church family, listen, I, I I want to encourage you to bring your need to the Lord. Maybe you would like to get on your knees. You don't have to, but maybe you'd like to get on your knees. Maybe you would like to even come forward and just kneel here in the front. That's where I'm at. And by coming, you're just saying, all right, I'm going to kneel and I'm going to bring this to the Lord. And then I'm going to get back up, go back to my seat. But it's like, I have brought it to the Lord. I have obtained mercy and I'm seeking his help and healing and that touch of grace, that miracle that I need. Listen, the Holy Spirit is here. So it's just like, we got, a, we got a, like a three or four minute deal. Let's just bring that need. And then this as a church family, I want us to pray for a few other things too. So let's just, first song, bring that need, bring that burden. If you want to get on your knees, you want to come forward, whatever it may be. But just seize this opportunity now to bring that need before the Lord. You obtain mercy in His grace.